welcome to this edition of the Week in Review podcast. My name is Michael Crutcher, joined by Jordan McDonald. Jordan, welcome. Hi, Michael. We've got a bit to talk about this week, but we're going to start with the story that's probably of most interest this week, easily in the topics we talk about, and one that I'm sure everyone can have an opinion of because it's in so many homes, but Netflix... It hasn't been a great week for Netflix, and that's one thing we're going to look at in this edition. What happened, Jordan, to Netflix this week? Oh, it's been a very difficult week for Netflix. On Tuesday, they reported that they lost subscribers for the first time in a decade. So in their Q1 report, uh, they found that they lost 200,000 subscribers, and then they went on and said they, and warned that they expect to lose a further 2 million in the second quarter. So... The company had predicted that they would, uh, they would add on two and a half million users in that first quarter of this year. And failing to hit that and the warning of further losses actually sent the stock price down 35%. So money value, about $54 billion. 35%. It's one of those rare moments when these just behemoths of modern media that we've seen, the likes of you know, Facebook and Google and a bunch of others, mm. um, this is a rare slowdown because they just don't slow down, do they? They no. just keep going, but th- this one's a, a slow. It is, it is. A big factor was um, the suspension of the Russian accounts. And that accounted for about 700,000 people. If you ignored that number, though, Netflix actually gained 500,000, but that's still miles short of the 2.5 million. And despite the, um, the drop in the stock value... Uh, the company still recorded an income and revenue gain. So it was bad and good in yeah. little ways, depending how you look at it. It's probably, yeah, <laughs> and if you're an investor, you're probably thinking... Yeah, no. You're looking ahead to think that maybe some clouds are looming. It's been, it's been such massive growth. I mean, the share prices... Uh, the share prices increase so rapidly over the years mm. and it's a bit of a shock if you own Netflix shares. Hang on a sec. These great um, share price increases aren't there at the moment. None at all, not at all. So in a letter to stakeholders, though, they, uh, the chief executive he outlined a few of the, of the key areas that he thought sort of was the cause for that Q1 report, which has you know, caused the, the massive drop in the, in the stock market there. So there's four he pulled out and he said, number one, growth in the underlying addressable market, and their addressable market is that, uh, being broadband homes. Yep. Now, that's the partly, it's partly dependent on factors Netflix can't directly control. And these are things like the uptake of connected TVs, the adoption of on-demand entertainment, and then data costs. Yep. Um, Netflix hopeful that these factors will improve over time so that eventually all broadband households are potential customers for Netflix. Yeah, because Netflix comes to you as long as there's a bunch of things in place. Correct. So. The second one they, they pointed out was around password sharing. So there's 222 million paying households globally, but Netflix ex- estimates that there's around 100 million additional households that are using Netflix via password sharing. This is pretty common. This certainly has happened in my family, guilty, <laughs> uh, where mum and dad set up a, uh, a Netflix account for the family and then when we get older we move out, but we still want the Netflix yeah, and, uh, yeah. of course, they can't remember their passwords, but I do. So <laughs> I logged in. But that's a, that's a problem that they have acknowledged and they actually are trying to solve that at the moment by adding on some additional charges to add profiles, but that's, uh, that's for later on. 
the third was increased competition. So as linear TV sort of realises that streaming's the way forward, yeah, there's a, been a bunch of streaming platforms yeah. pop up in the last three years. And um, although you know, Netflix still maintains the, the viewing market share in terms of streaming platforms, they're looking to grow that market share quicker. Yeah. And the last one were macro factors. So things like the sluggish economic growth, increasing inflation, and then geopolitical events like the Russia-Ukraine conflict and then just, you know, ongoing disruption from COVID. So what are you taking out of this as, uh, especially someone in the generation who has streaming is much more native to you than, say, my generation? What are your takeouts? I could take a few things out of, what's happening with Netflix. I can understand why they predicted two and a half million subscriber growth initially for Q1. I mean, the same time last year, they uh, were just shy of four million subscribers in growth. But as we've returned to normal sort of living post-COVID and the cost of living now rising pretty sharply too, people are starting to cut back on those luxuries that they can live without. And unfortunately, Mm. Netflix is one one of those services on the chopping block. Another issue yeah, that that's I, true. it is. Especially, yeah, it's right. If you look at what's coming in, bill-wise and what you're spending money on, you're right. Exactly right. Another thing I recognised or sort of found was that there's a churn problem. And what I mean by that is customers are churning through the content on Netflix faster than it's being created. And this behaviour, though, has changed just slightly in relation to the cost of living rising. And what people are doing is they're looking for their specific streaming platform because there's so many available now and they're trying to find that one show that want to watch. They'll quickly sign up, binge yep. it and then cancel it. Yeah. That's what's happening. And so Netflix is trying to sort of combat that. Get your two weeks free trial or whatever some yeah. of them do. They're trying to combat that with the Stranger Things final season. They're starting, they're split into two parts. Yeah. They're doing one that starts May and the next part starts in July, which right. is over that important financial period yeah. too so hoping to retain some of the uh the subscribers there the uh only two more so netflix i think will invest and needs to invest billions in um in content That's to help right. fix this churn problem you need they, the content they don't need you? it they need to produce a bunch of stuff and throw it at the wall and you know hope something sticks something like squid games yeah in the uh in the letter to the stakeholders, they were the, you know, boasting how proud they were that they were filming in over 50 countries and and really focused on creating blockbusters on a global and local market. Yep. So I'm pretty, uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll be spending a fair bit over the year. So they're looking for the ones like you mentioned, Squid Games, and the way that it just took off from nowhere and mm. became a big hit. Um, but then they're also doing the ones like. You know, you mentioned Stranger Things 4. Now, I watched the original Stranger Things, like okay. many people did, mm. and thought, wow, that was, you know, that was a pretty compelling series. Okay. But I didn't see how they could do a two out of that, a Stranger Things 2. I mean, right. it, it seemed to me it will be a series that was self-contained, but, you know, there's Stranger Things 4 now. Um, I know that keeps uh, our kids interested. They are looking forward to Stranger Things 4. I stopped a while ago on that. Okay. But Bridgerton 2 is out now, the second yeah, series. Yeah, a popular one. Oh, very popular one mm. from the numbers you see. So it seems as though there's that look to see, well, can I stumble across an unlikely hit that gets massive numbers in or do I just do another season of the series that went really well because, hey, people will watch that. Mm. Um, and also the same format. Like I, I saw uh, in the last week or so the new one, Anatomy of a Scandal, which is 
number one at Netflix at the moment, okay. which is a really similar formula and same creator um, as The Undoing, mm-hmm. which had Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant in it. It seems to me that there's that formula you just follow, do it, get through it. And, right. But it's all new content as such. Right. So you've got to keep it going. You've got to have that content coming in whatever way you do it. Yeah, right. Well, the last observation I had actually has to do with what people are paying for that content. So a, a lower cost option I reckon is going to come to Netflix. I think it has to. Um, in a report I watched this week actually, uh, an analyst said that more than 60% of the customers in the US would actually want a lower cost option for Netflix. I mean, it still gives them the same access to everything, but they're saying they don't mind enduring a few ads to save a few bucks. So lower cost option equals ads. Yes, a few ads you can't skip through, but people are willing to do it. And it's not like it hasn't been done already. Disney Plus, they're expected to introduce an ad-supported tier next year, but already HBO Max has one. So does Hulu, Paramount Plus and Peacock. So what would you do? Would you watch one with ads on it? Oh, that's tough. I, I really enjoy Netflix without the ads at the moment. However, I do recognise, I, re- I realised the other week, I've, between KO and a, a couple of other subscriptions, it does add up every month. So yeah. if if a lower lower cost option did come become an option, I would definitely look at it. I'm not how, sure I'd commit, but I'd look. How do you find the ads when you're watching the seven pluses and the nine nows, I hate those ads. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's the type of ad, and it is. It's the same ad. I could I could recite word for word some of those ads. I've seen them that much. But, um, yeah, maybe maybe the ads, the ad space in Netflix will be uh, different. I don't know what, what sort of advertisers will get yeah. there. You know, maybe it could be a bit of fun. Yeah, I can. It's a really interesting story this week. I mentioned before that you just don't see these tech giants get a, a punch in the face like you we did this week with Netflix, um, and and I think most of these things over time that mean predicting the future is so hard mm-hmm. in these areas. So it doesn't matter what you're in. I mean, TikTok comes along and comes from nowhere. It becomes suddenly really big and yep. your time in the in the sun has a little bit of a, a time limit on it in some ways mm-hmm. because of the way that um, trends are. And look at Facebook now, we talk a lot about, sorry, Meta, mm-hmm. the way that Meta is looking for the Metaverse and what comes next there. So it's that constant look for what comes out. Look, I'm not surprised by it. I'm surprised by the, the fall in the share price, definitely. But there has to be some impact with the increase of, say, the streaming services in Australia. See the way that they roll. I noticed that HBO in the US had an, an increase um, in the last quarter, um, of uh, like a decent increase from what I saw. But we don't have HBO in Australia because its programs are sent across through through to Foxtel. I think mm-hmm. they go there. So there's there's competition and there's people's viewing habits. And you're right in the numbers of people who've seen programs and just go and watch somewhere else. I'm really interested in this one. I'd love to see in 12 months' time what happens. I think the next results for Netflix will be really telling. Yep. Um, but it's a really uh, important story and what it tells us about us as, uh, in, in the modern day, I think. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, another one which is interesting this week was um, the outgoing executive editor of the New York Times, um, who 
sat down, he wrote a letter to um, staff at the New York Times, effectively telling them to just be careful of what they do on Twitter. So this is an interesting one because I, I, I think that, and I've mentioned this before. You know, <laughs> Your love of Twitter. I know, you're going to get on a rant here. <laughs> Twitter's a great news service. It's a fantastic news service, but uh, it can go a little bit too far. At it times can. people get it can. too absorbed by it and... Mm. Let's face it, the world of Twitter is not a world we all want to live in. No. Um, but it can take up a lot of people's time. So basically in this letter that McKay sent to um, staff, you can boil it down to probably four things in that letter. Uh, it's worth having a read. But are journalists on Twitter too much? And I see some journalists here who spend so much time on Twitter. I think, mm-hmm. my goodness, um, there's a lot of other things that journalists can do, as in break stories. Yeah. Um, they do, he points out, then gives them a different perspective on on their reporting because they're seeing instant feedback, some of it, you know, backslapping, some of it terrible. Um, you know, it lends itself to abuse. Plus it also can be, and we've seen this with the ABC in Australia, he says that the New York Times reputation can be affected because um, the way people see their journalists post on Twitter. Yep. I just think it's a timely reminder here. I couldn't agree more with this uh, from the New York outgoing executive editor. I think a lot of Australian journalists, the same thing. Um, journalists and politicians love Twitter, which tells you a lot about Twitter, really. That, that <laughs> it does, journalists it? and politicians love it. Yeah. The majority of Australians, for me, just find it a bit too abusive a place. But one of the things, and bringing this back to the election campaign in Australia at the moment, mm. is one thing Twitter has done is take away some of the mystery about the political leanings of political writers. To me, the best political journalists have always been the ones who you read their stuff or you see their words on uh, television or wherever Mm. and you can't tell which way they vote Mm -hmm. because to me that is the the standard that all political writers should aspire to. So then when you're reading what they say, you're trying to do it through what you would think was an unbiased perspective. Now, I know everyone has their own biases, but the best journalists I worked with in that area, I couldn't tell you how they voted. Mm -hmm. Now, the advent of Twitter for me, I can go through, and the majority of journalists who cover politics in this country, I could probably tell you how they vote. Yep. Um, And I just don't think that's, that's great in terms of trying to get engagement from people who just want to get an opinion without thinking that it might be linked to it. And that's where the ABC has definitely had its own issues in recent times when, you know, journalists have been pretty scathing of, of different politicians. And um, so I think that 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 email from the New York Times executive editor, I think it actually got a lot of um, lessons here for Australian reporters, particularly during this election campaign, because in the end, you want to find an opinion that you can look at and thankfully there's still a few journalists like that who I couldn't tell you how they voted but the majority now working for organisations which are catering to the left or the right trying to get online subscriptions um, are falling down that trap of we know who they're going to vote for on May 21 therefore anything you read from them or see from yeah. them is is a bit biased but that's me and my high horse there um, <laughs> Jordan uh, on the back of that New York Times one but you've been looking this week at 
Um, again, we mentioned that Facebook tool last week, which is a good tool um, to look at, which is the advertising for the Australian election campaign from the parties. Now, we wanted to go back and have a bit of a revisit of that because there was a couple of issues with that one in the last week, wasn't there, that, that Facebook um, tool? Yeah, there was, an, there was an issue that um, from Monday, not last week, the week before, it, it wasn't tracking what was going on with the ads. It's since been repaired, but it caused quite a blow-up because, you know, it's sort of... It put up a it put a wall between you know what journalists could write on and how, what the people could see was being yeah. published from, these, from these parties. It did. It yeah. just seemed broken. But fortunately, it has been fixed. So, what are the observations from this week? Then we're back up to speed. Now we're in real time. We are in real time, and all the ads are there, so they're all calibrated again. So, in the last seven days between the two parties, they've spent about a hundred grand on Facebook and Instagram ads. We'll look at Labor first. They've spent about $68,494 in the last week. And that's on 13 ads between Facebook and Instagram. So the majority of Labor's ads, though, they're, they're focusing heavily on Anthony Albanese and Labor's parties, sorry, Labor Party's plans and promises if elected. Yep. So the message is very clearly on investing in the future, the things like the renewables, the better jobs, the improved healthcare. They're still putting Anthony Albanese... Yes, he's the poster boy for it all. Trying to grow his profile, yeah. Absolutely. Now, one interesting observation I made was looking at the ads library in there, I reckon their social media strategy is pretty similar to what a splash campaign. And that's just sort of hit as many people as possible. So what they've done is they've used one of Facebook ads dynamic tools and it's a feature where you can input a bunch of photos, videos uh, and captions yep. and you know put in your preferences for Facebook or Instagram depending on how you want them to appear yep. and then you let the Facebook dynamic feature create multiple combinations of the same ad which then you can direct okay. to specific audiences. So I could have the same ad in four different ways going to four different audiences because that's the best way for them to see that right. combination. And they're doing that a lot. So, for instance, they've got an ad that talks about investing in manufacturing and renewables for yep. to create more Australian jobs. They've got 73 versions of this ad hitting specific audiences okay. with a slightly tailored version for that specific audience. Okay. So that was I thought that was quite interesting. And if you compare that to the, the Liberal Party, they spent about 30000 this week, um, and that's across 11 different ads for Facebook and Instagram again. Yep. Now, most of their ads, they, uh, they're aimed at raising some uncertainty around Anthony Albanese's ability to lead. Six of their 11 current ads target him directly with messaging like Labor Lies and it won't be easy under Albanese. Yep. The classic with the dollar sign for the S. Now, a few of the ads I noticed recently uh, are fact-checking previous comments that he made at the Sky People's Forum. Um, one of the recurring ads there was on his comment about being Deputy Prime Minister when they you know, established offshore processing. Beneath that quote, though, they've made a tile which is titled The Facts and you know, it says offshore processing was established in 2001 by John Howard. Okay, they circulated so that about eight different times right. with that same dynamic tool. So yeah, they, they use that same dynamic tool but nowhere near right. to the extent that um, Labor is. So we're seeing that 
both parties are making use of Anthony Albanese, mm. but in different ways. So yeah, absolutely. And now he's got a COVID delay for the next week. Oh, I know. Look, he didn't need any other barriers, did he? But he's uh, he's uh, bed bound for the next seven days. I'm interested to see how that works out because it's unprecedented as such. So when we talk again Is next it really? week. Uh, yeah, they've never uh, had a prime minister or oh, potential in the campaign get crook. I can't remember going missing for you know maybe a day or two, but not for a week wow. as such. I know they're going to talk about Zoom press conferences. And yeah, well, he's campaigning from bed. I don't know how you do yeah. it. How effective that can be. I'm really interested to see how whether they turn a potential um, negative into a positive. I don't know. It's, mm. it's there's a plan there, but as we saw in the first week, you know the plans can come unstuck. So next time when we talk about this. We'll have a look at, and especially that Facebook tool to see if things have changed at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, finally this week, Jordan, reading is cool again. Reading, Tell us more. Reading is cool again. It's just a little light one to finish off the podcast today. I was listening to the radio this week and they were talking about how bookstores around the country have noticed the emergence of a new regular crowd through the bookshops. So among the usual 40 to 60-year-old veterans... Uh, are now teenagers, mostly in their school uniform, coming in after school. And it's all thanks to a specific corner of TikTok called BookTok. Now, BookTok sort of was uh, birthed during the pandemic and it gained momentum when young readers uh, trapped in lockdown began sharing their reviews of their favourite books, emotional reactions... And then reading some, reading aloud yep. to their audience some of the intimate scenes or interesting parts okay. of these books, like a like a, a book club for whoever kind wants of, to join. Yeah, 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 exactly. And now they made these videos and they hashtag book talk. And since then, there's been forty nine point six billion views on videos tagged book talk. Wow, it's enormous. So in March this year, there was an article. And the impact of BookTok was evident in Dimmick's Australia's top 10 bestsellers because six of them were trending on BookTok. Wow. There was, uh, in, this actual, uh, in this article as well, there was a manager of a Dimmick's in Sydney and she, was, um, she said how grateful she was for the new interest in young readers because it was essentially a godsend to the bookshop after the struggles they, they had during yeah. the pandemic. And so much so, they're so grateful they've actually set up, they've devoted a section to BookTok in the yeah, shop right. now. So... I'm personally not a big book reader myself, <laughs> but I do read a lot online now, and we've discussed this yeah. for previous things at work here. That's still, that still is meaningful reading. Absolutely, it is. And I read more than ever then, but I think book talk's great if it's getting young people interested in reading. Oh, it's great. It's good to hear. It's, um, it's always great when people are buying books. It's a bit like radio, isn't it? Like radio was going to be, you know, the big casualty of this changing. Um, technology era mm-hmm. you know radio felt the pinch when um, um, audiences didn't switch on for the news on the hour and they therefore they weren't listening in mm-hmm. so they could stay on for the interview after the news finishes etc but radio has been really resilient it has it stood up yeah it has been and, and bookshops as well you know we kept i think plenty of jokes in the simpsons about bookshops closing down but here they go they found bits and pieces here and there and we don't have those really massive bookshops like we're used to at places but they're still around and you know here they go they're finding their way through these uncertain times which netflix has to do as well uh, but in its own way so is there any book reading for you this weekend or is there any streaming because it's your birthday weekend no book reading for the birthday this weekend <laughs> i might i might i might swap the book out for some reddit maybe i do like reddit 
Um, but yeah, it is my birthday this weekend. Well, it actually is on Anzac Day, but I will be celebrating tomorrow with a few friends over lunch. Um, Public that, holiday for your birthday. Public holiday for my birthday, yes, indeed. So I'll probably get down to the dawn service and uh, spend the morning there and then maybe catch up with some family for breakfast after that. Well, enjoy that. Um, have a great weekend with your birthday long weekend too with a Monday for Anzac Day. Yes, yes, I will. I will, have, I will enjoy it. <laughs> a nice little break. <laughs> and we'll see you back next week. Will do. 